Good morning. It's a great blessing for me to be a part of your celebration. And actually, when I agreed to do that, I made a mistake. I did not ask in what language. <laughs> so I was planning to preach in Russian this morning. But your elders insisted that I have to do it in English, so you have, you'll have to bear with me now. When we're talking about church, when we think about our relationship to Christ, we tend to think uh, using some familiar um, models or stamps. Um, this church is called Grace Hill, as I understand, church. And the word grace is um, actually had become quite a common word among our, in our circles. Among certain group in evangelical world that renewed its interest toward the biblical preaching, the solid theology, toward the reformed theology, toward uh, our biblical understanding of Christ, salvation, and everything. But when we are thinking about grace, grace is a very interesting term. Grace needs not just to be understood. Grace is the property of God as God's person, or his quality, that we need to learn to experience. We need to learn how to function in grace. It is important for everyone, for every believer, to get to understand what it means to be saved by grace. And not just to be saved by grace, but grace is training us, grace is teaching us, it's literally changing us. And for every one of us, it is one of the most important things in our Christian walk. But for pastors, for elders, for ministers, this is essential. One of the reasons for that is that we all legalists by nature. This is our default mode of functioning. When we think, when we react, we function in certain value system. And that value system is natural for a fallen human being. So in order to live by grace, we need to learn. We need to retrain ourselves. We need to have conscientious decisions, efforts, we need to direct our life. We need to put ourselves into the context of grace. And that was the reason why I decided to take this topic for this ordination service. Men, brothers who are being ordained and all others. There is no more important topic for us to speak about today. When we think about the gospel and when we think how the gospel could be in practical way applied to our leadership, there are several questions that we need to ask. First of all, 
what does leadership built by, by God's grace mean? I mean, really. It's not just sprinkle word grace every now and then. It's certain mentality. It's certain approach to life. And it is quite challenging. When we are talking about working for God's kingdom, serving him, it means certain actions. It means certain way of leading people. There is certain method of doing that. Спасибо большое. So when, uh, <clears throat> if we will go down a little bit by the list, in the list of those questions, how does God, God's grace define philosophy of ministry or church strategy? It's one thing to say we are saved by grace, all right? That's fine. We understand that. But now you are playing in a ministry. And in some sense, all of us participate in that process because we either accept or reject whatever had been planned, whatever had been produced by the leadership. And we need to think, by the way, or through the lens of, of grace, how grace is being applied here, or how to make decisions by God's grace. And that's tough. It's not easy. Or how to lead a church being moved by the grace of God. Or take this one, how to treat your opponents with grace. Or even more, how to treat those who require church discipline with grace. So there are a host of other questions. And when we, if we want to be leaders, true leaders which are motivated and led by grace, which live by grace, these questions have to be answered. So I would like to focus our main attention, main attention on one text, which is written by the Apostle Paul in, the, in his first epistle to Corinthians, where he talks about himself. He talks about himself, about his approach to ministry, about life, about everything that he is producing in his life. We'll start from verse 1. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're starting from verse 1, and he starts with a reminder of the gospel. And this is very important to make that connection, how his ministry is actually being, uh, is growing out of the gospel. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Kethas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Look how he is building his story. Uh, he's not alone. He is not a lone warrior. 
He understands that everything begins with the gospel of Christ, actually begins with, the, with Christ himself, begins with his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection. This is the energy of the gospel. This is the center of Christianity. Christianity has only one source. It's Jesus Christ who died for our sins and who rose again. And then he continues on. He explains that when Jesus rose out of his grave, he, he appeared. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to others. And those people are carrying these, the same gospel, not the different gospel. It's not the gospel that they have invented. It's not the other way of approaching our relationship with God. It's the same. It's, which, it's that one which grew up out of Christ's work for us at the cross. And then he comes to himself, verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. As I already mentioned, it's, uh, um, these words are pretty common, and we even have songs which literally take these words and proclaim and we understand that this is something good, but one thing is to understand that this is much needed, but another thing to learn to live how Paul lives. We'll look at the work of God's grace in the Apostle Paul as a leader of the church in three aspects. First of all, how grace influenced his understanding of himself. Then how grace defines his goals or purpose in ministry. And the last, how grace is shaping the practical methods of what he was doing. Let's start with the first one. Grace actually changes our view of self. That's number one thing which should happen. Every one of us has certain understanding of who we are. We cannot function without that. And this understanding is built from many different sources, we, we are actually, we, uh, when we come around people, when we listen to people, we have some people that we want to imitate them. We respect, esteem them highly, and we have conscientious effort to be like them. But it's not the only source in, from which our identity is built, our understanding of ourselves. There are many, many, actually thousands of different sources. Most likely, they are unnoticed by us. There are certain values in culture. There are certain values in your subculture. There are certain values in your circle of friends. Books we read television we watch, some politicians, some spiritual leaders, 
maybe great missionaries that you have read about. So you have all of that collectively being piled up in your mind, which is building up your understanding. This is who minister of the word, minister of the church is. So when we're talking about this collectively piled or taken into one portrait picture information, we need to ask ourselves, what Christ has to do with that picture? Where is God's grace there? And when we're talking about the work of God's grace in our heart, it has a very deep influence. God's grace has a certain destroying power. You know, when we're talking about leading, leading requires conviction, leading requires firmness, leading requires ability to think, make decisions, strategize. Leading requires determination. So we all understand that, especially when you're working under pressure. And if you work with people, you're always under pressure. There are opinions, there are views, there are demands, there are some complaints. Uh, you have thousand people, you have thousand opinions. You have thousands of points of pressure. Some of that pressure is smaller, some of greater, some are more pleasant, some of that pressure is unpleasant. So, and, but in all of that, you cannot just fly where you is, is being pushed to. You need, you need to provide leadership. And that means you need to know what you want. You need to know what is right. And, the, and you need to have ability to lead that whole group of people in a certain direction. Otherwise, what you're doing there. But at the same time, you have to be meek. You have to be humble. You have uh, to have crushed spirit. And these two things are, seems like, mutually exclusive. So what happened in our circles? We actually learned to live in two separate universes. We proclaim grace. We proclaim meekness. We proclaim humility. We teach, we write books about humility, but we lead with harshness. And this is not just some imaginary picture. You can, you can see a lot of examples, a lot of people. And I, I'm not referring only to your recent history. I mean it's in the, in the Christian, history of the Christian church. That's a problem, real problem. If any of you try to carry the burden of responsibility for others, you know what it means. You know how you're being pressured to make a decision, and you don't know how to make it in being humble. How to make it with a meek spirit. So when grace comes, grace changes all of that. There are two words. Actually, in religion, there are two different words. 
all religion can be split, separated in two different worlds. One, I call it the world of the world of the legalism, and another is the world of grace. Two different values, different results, different atmosphere, different methods, how people function. And we need to learn and we need to make sure that we are in the world of grace. I actually decided just to be concise, I decided to put this definition up to the, on the PowerPoint. In the world of legalism, our significance or our view of self is determined by personal values, how good I am. Determined by merit, courage, intelligence, unique abilities, invested efforts, dedication, commitment, how much I work, how hard I work, how much I give, you can continue that list on and on. How much education I, I have, how many languages I speak, how well I, I parsed verbs in Greek. These are real sources of our significance. And we all, we cannot live without significance. Let's switch to the world of, of general population, not the leaders, but general population. All of us, we have something that we need to stand on. For the ladies, it's your beauty. It's your ability to impress. Your, your certain abilities to behave in some way that people would respect you that they would treat you with esteem. We have the same with kids, we have the same with older folks. But the world of grace, our significance is determined by Christ and by Christ alone. So when grace comes, the number one work with grace, what grace does destroys all our significance. This is the reality of grace. And if we are not experiencing that every day, we are missing the point. We are still legalists. Doesn't matter how much you preach about grace. Doesn't matter how much you glorify grace in your singing. If you're not experiencing that crushing power of grace every day, you're not experiencing grace. Look what happened with Paul. Philippians chapter 3, you remember that very, very famous, familiar passage. Verse 5, he lists all his sources of significance. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. When we read these words, we're kind of dismissing them that that was part of his Pharisaic uh, heritage, which he just re gladly rejected. But look what he's writing here. Is it bad to be of the tribes of Benjamin? Did he stop being of the tribe of Benjamin after he accepted Christ? No. You cannot change that. 
Was it bad to have desire to be righteous under the law? No, it's all good. This is not the point. His point here is when I met Christ, Christ completely changed my value system. And that's very difficult to do. It's very painful. Actually, we, because God loves us, he does not allow us to experience it all in one setting because we will be destroyed. What he's doing, he, he's working in our hearts through the circumstances, opening the gospel, opening the gospel to us that we will be crushed little by little every day. And he does it not just to demonstrate that he is great and we are nothing. No. He does it in order to help us to give up on those wrong values that we are actually clinging to. It's very difficult to give them up. And that required Christ personally appearing to Saul when he was traveling to the Lord, uh, to, to the Damascus, to to persecute Lord's church. Look what he is dis describing here. He is underlining here that the, it was his values, his achievements, his significance. And when he met Christ, he found his true significance only in him. Read with me verses 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That's our goal. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. Two words are very significant. Not just Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Look with me several words here. I have suffered. Guys, you will suffer. If you want to be God's leaders led by grace, you will. You are. It's the rod of suffering. And why we need that suffering? Because we need to give up what is dear to us. That's the only way. And he, he's describing here, I, I, I have suffered the loss of all things. For his sake, he does it gladly. He understands that this is something that he needs very much. That I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attend the resurrection from the dead. For Paul, that, that was a critical point in his development, in his spiritual life. When he met Christ, he realized that by, by his greatest grace, he had sent his son 
that his son would become our righteousness and our significance, our worth, our glory. He's applying it to everyone. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 28, God chose that is what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing that are. That's, that's a very interesting thing. So what God is doing, actually, he has chosen the way of salvation in such a way that everyone who thinks about himself as something, the number one thing which God is doing is bring to nothing all things that we think are something. That's his work. He's plainly open about that. This is what he's doing. This is what we will experience, and I'm not just leaders. If you want to live by grace, this is what God is doing with you. He wants to destroy your own way of significance, your own understanding of what significance is and means. And he continues, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's his purpose. So God had built a plan of salvation in such a way that it excludes any possibility of any human being to boast by anything. And there's a purpose for that. The purpose for that is this is the only appropriate place or state of human being before the, before the Creator God. So he, he's actually leading us back to that initial position that we were to occupy. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is what he is referring to when he is uh, writing about himself. Let's go back to chapter 15, verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Look how extensively he writes about his past. He's not just mentioning briefly, but by the grace of God, I am here now. He actually understands really well his own insignificance. And he's fine with that. Whenever you hear something diminishing toward you, being said, or something acting in diminishing way, way towards you, what is your reaction? What do you think? How you view those words. If you are a human being like me, most likely we have an uproar inside. We blame those persons. We sometimes have anger. Sometimes that anger is inside of us. We, we, cannot, we cannot just take it lightly. 
Why? Because we cannot live without our significance, and someone is just trying to diminish them. And we do everything to defend that we are somebody, we are something. We cannot live with that emptiness inside. And that's right, we cannot. Our emptiness has to be filled with the significance of Christ. So when someone says something diminishing toward us, we can say, yes, you're right, and I, even, I am even worse than that. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I exist. By the great, grace of God, I am saved. By the grace of God, I can do something. He's my righteousness. He's my significance. He's my hope. He's the point that I rest upon. So when, when we accept that, that our life and ministry would be based on the merits of Christ, we will calmly accept the position that Christ has prepared for us. Whatever his way, whatever he considers is better. We understand that God is good. We understand that he cares for us. We understand that our life is an overflowing of his grace. And we always remind ourselves of that. And we can be satisfied. We can have that inner peace and joy. When Paul had presented the gospel in the epistle of Romans, after that, he is describing a very important part of reaction of everyone who is experiencing saving, work of the saving grace in his heart. He is describing very, in a very vivid term how we should accept our position, where we are. Verse 3, uh, this is chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You will not survive, brothers, if you will think of yourself highly. You will not survive because you will have always that thinking of yourself being challenged by something. Other people don't think like you think about yourself. And you will be disappointed many, many times. This is why Paul is writing. Don't think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And then he explains what it means. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What he means here, measure of faith, faith is an instrument that connects us with grace with the worthiness of Christ, with the significance of Christ. So I am thinking of, of, of myself not in my own merits, not in view of my own significance, but I am thinking from the point of view that Christ has prepared. He had created me. He had prepared certain position, place to me, and he is giving everything that I need to function for his glory in that position in this point of time. And he continues on, verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Again, gifts differ according to the grace. So God's grace determines the level of our gifts. God's grace determines where and when to put us. In certain time, person is just growing and learning. He, he occupies and God puts him in one position. Then time passes by and maturity comes with that. Sometimes age comes along without maturity, but most likely I would hope that age comes and maturity comes with it. And then we see how God opens different venues. He opens different points of influence. He is willing to use us in a more efficient way. So this is number one. God's grace changes our view of self. This is what we need to learn and this is where we need to focus our attention. Second, grace changes our purpose in ministry. It's a very important thing to ask ourselves a question. Why we do what we do? Why are you here? When you're preparing sermon, why are you doing that? When you are leading a meeting, why, why are you doing it? What do you want to achieve? What's your purpose? Quite often we don't ask, uh, ask ourselves those questions thinking that we know. But it is very important to sort out where the legalist comes and tries to bring his own goals and his own influence. And where is grace of God comes in leading us. We connect our success or our satisfaction with the achievement of goal. Everyone, when you work, go to work, your, your evaluation of the effectiveness of that, that is your paycheck, how much you get from that. Or when you put together a celebration at your house, your achievement is you want to have a good time with your relatives and friends. So, and then as evening passed by, you kind of satisfied or dissatisfied based on what you had expected. Exactly the same happens in ministry. What would satisfy us and what would dissatisfy? For Paul, prior to meeting Christ, his satisfaction was supposed to come from his achievement. I am better than others. I am Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm number one Pharisee. As to the righteousness of God, I am sinless. I am perfect. I have achieved whatever is possible to achieve. So this is being driven by his purpose. And now we see that the whole purpose is being changed. Let me read it once again, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. 
So apostle only opens himself to the work of God's grace. He is only a servant of God's grace, living and acting by it. In another place, he is explaining how that grace was expressed in his ministry. In the book of Acts, uh, chapter 20, verse 24, he is, he is addressing those elders from Ephesus. And he, he says a little bit about himself. But I do, not, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the God, of the grace of God. Years ago, uh, we, have, we have experienced, uh, actually, we, we have experienced a lot of this kind of situation when people leave. You know, this is good when people come to your church and you enjoy that. And uh, it's always sad when people decide to leave. And not just one thing when people decided to move to another place, but uh, sometimes it happens that they prefer church next door, down the road. And uh, that's not easy to take for uh, every minister, for every pastor, and for church members as well. And I remember one case like that. A new church opened, and several families decided to go to the church. Uh, it wasn't uh, the best church, in my opinion. That was one another thing which made me uneasy. But then... I, I looked at that situation from a different point of view. Two of the guys, young guys in those families, they became youth leaders in that church. And I decided to look at that from the point of view that these guys had been trained here. We have invested a lot of the gospel in them. And now they have an opportunity to be in that not very good church and spread the influence of the gospel there. And this completely changes your whole outlook on the situation. Now you are enjoying that. Now you understand that those years were not in vain just because God's grace lead us, leads us in certain way in this, in this point of life. Ask yourself a question. If this situation will advance the kingdom of God, will advance the gospel? That's the main question which every one of us should have. We need to become the vehicles of God's saving grace. We're not building our own kingdom. We're not building our name. We're not building our church. We're not building, I mean, the local church as an idea. We're not building something unique to us. We are building the church of Christ. And he decides sometimes to gather more people and sometimes less. It's his own will. In Titus 2, there's a very important passage which addresses that issue. Uh, we will read verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, and then he explains, bringing salvation for our people. This is first part of the work of saving grace. Grace of God, 
saves us. And praise God, I know that in this church you preach about that a lot. This is a very important thing. But it's on the first portion. The second part, what the grace of God does, does training us. Grace continues to train us. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and God godly life in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look how he puts together here a lot of things that he had experienced in his personal ministry. At one point, he had experienced that salvation by grace, and then he is experiencing all the time that training work of grace and how it trains us. It teaches us not to rely on our own strength and not to build our own goals, not to advance our own cause, but to renounce ungodliness in every approach, in every situation. Worldly passions that still live in us then live self-control, upright in godly life, waiting for the blessed hope. You know, ministry is not our, our, under our, our control. We are striving to be faithful, and God will bring fruit. And sometimes we have to wait for it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul addresses that again. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And we need to learn that. We need to trust God. We need to trust God's timing. We need to trust that God is the only one which, who could bring fruit and soul. You know what, men, brothers who are here, who are leading this church, you can, you can have a lot of your efforts trying to discipline people, trying to line them up, trying to train them how they should act, but all of that will have nothing to do with God's work if their soul inside is not changed. But that is not possible by our strength. You know, sometimes I wish that people would have programming keypad here. That I would come and I would take the Word of God and I would measure and put a little bit more of goodness and a little bit more of charity in his personality. But this is not the case. The keypad is in heaven. And all what we could do, we could pray, we could present ourselves, and we could learn to be used by God, relying on that hope that he would work. So this is the ministry of grace. Number three, we touched upon first thing. We, we little bit spoke about grace that is changing our view of self, then grace which is changing our purpose in ministry. It's not advancing ourself. It's advancing God's kingdom. And number three, grace changes our methods of ministry. And this is the most practical thing because this is what we do. Methods, this is what we do. We, we put together meetings, we do stuff. Let's go back to this verse. 1 Corinthians 15. 
understand, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace in me, His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So this is what Paul is explaining. The living by grace does not mean let go and let God. Does not mean that you do nothing and you just expect that God's grace would uh, train your people and change your people and grow your people and make them more Christ-like. No, apostle works, and he works hard, but he works in a certain way. And now I would like to get into another illustration where he describes that work, how he does that work. We find that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, if you would turn there, and we found this number one thing, which grace how grace affects our methodology. Grace rules out any deceit. Grace does not allow insincerity, any kind of falsehood, any superficiality. Grace is number one power to make us authentic. And that's a very important understanding. Nowadays, people are uh, authenticity became a very uh, um, famous or kind of popular thing. But only by the grace of God we could be authentic. We could be who we are and not worry about it. Read with me chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. We do not need to make impression. We do not want to do that. We do not have that goal to come and to build, first of all, our image in your eyes. That's not our goal. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our heart. Hypocrisy and an attempt to impress one of the most serious problems in the Christian world and in Christian leadership. Often it's very difficult to catch. It seems that we are trying to impress others with, the, with godly things, the way how I preach, the way how I lead, how I use Greek and Hebrew, how I, I, I use the quotations from famous theologians. Everyone has his, his own ways how to impress. And actually, to be free from that desire to impress others is a, is a huge freedom. This is the freedom that comes with maturity. This is something which comes when Christ helps us to grow, help us to grow in grace. Remember that we need to care about only one action of grace, saving and edify, edifying soul. So when I come, the only one thing that, that has occupied my mind, not with what you think about my broken English, but the only one thing, edification of your souls. 
That's number one thing. That's the only thing. Because Christ can take two words that I pronounce here and apply to your heart if I will not think about myself. And this is true of everyone, every one of us. This is what we do. This is what we need to do. Our leadership should be sincere and conscious search for the path of grace in the group of people that we are responsible. Our singing, it's not just about sincerity. Singing in the church becomes much of a vehicle of grace as we sing. We sing from the heart, from our understanding of grace. How much grace is natural to us. So that's number one thing in methods. Number two, grace rules out any cunning and manipulation. So when we try to achieve our goals, we understand that God has to work in hearts and he has to turn those hearts into the position of certain desire. And when you try to explain, you explain it once, you explain it twice, you you, you went and explained why by one by one, and you still don't have the unity, and you still don't have the desired result. What do you do? At that point, we are prone to manipulate somehow. There are a lot of different methods of manipulation, and more gifted person, more dangerous he is if he manipulates. Because gifted persons have a lot of very effective techniques of manipulation, how they would manipulate people into the needed goal. But that has nothing to do with grace. Grace is when we rely on what God is doing. Second Corinthians 4, verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And in order to live like that, you need to have strength. You need to know how to live by God's grace. You need to learn how to live in an open way. Brothers, this is who I am. This is what I understand. And do it without defensiveness. Do it without lording over others. Doing it without fear. Doing it with brotherly love, with respect and esteem for others and their opinions. We need to learn that. And it's especially important when we are dealing with leaders and them working together. Why do you think so many churches have a lot of problems in their leadership? Why do you think being in church leadership usually relates to Carvalol? You know what Carvalol is. Some people don't. Carvalol is a medicine which people take to calm their nerves. And Carvalol probably is the softest one. There are some stronger. I mean, seriously, why? Why are church leadership meeting is the source of troubles, of different emotions? 
It shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be that way. And at the same time, it should not be just that one is leading and others are yes men. No. We have to learn to disagree. We have to learn to speak freely of what we, we find in God's word and do it in a respectful way and do it without fear and do it without diminishing others. And the only way to do that is God's grace, to experience it, not just to preach it. We can preach it well. But we need to learn to live it. Number three, grace rules out self-interest. We already talked about that, that when we are doing, when we, we have doing ministry, we have purpose. And watch that that purpose would not include your own self-interest. Because we always tempted to do that. First Thessalonians 2, verse 5. We never came with the... Yeah, I need to stop already. We never came with the words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, whenever, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So, so he's saying, I have a position and I could demand that, but we did not do that. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because we, you had become very dear to us. All right, number four, I will just list them briefly and we'll pray. Grace rules out pressure. So when we are leading, we have that temptation to, to put some pressure on people. Read with me once again this uh, word, uh, verse 7 in the same passage that we just read. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care about her own children. The gentleness in the leadership. This is the result of grace in, in the life of Paul. He knew nothing like that before he met Christ. He was not gentle when he was persecuting uh, church. He was trying to line them up in the right order. He was trying to pressure them that they would achieve the right goal which he thought would be right. But nothing like that now. He is like a nursing mother. Number five, grace rests on the power of the gospel. This is our hope. My hope is not in my methodology. My hope is not in, in the right words that I would speak, in my abilities to lead, to organize. No. Do you really trust the gospel of Christ made the work? First Thessalonians 2.2 but though we had already suffered and had, had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. He understands that this is a source of power. Number five or six, grace is driven by God's love. 
Look with me. Grace rules out deceit. Grace rules out manipulation. Grace rules out self-interest. Grace rules out pressure. Grace rests on the power of the gospel. Grace is driven by God's love, and this is the only purpose that we have. We understand that God loves these people so much that he gave his only son for them. And I want to become a conduit for that love. And the last one, grace awaits for God's action. We understand that we cannot cause people to grow. God is the only one who does that. And First Thessalonians 2.13, he ends, and also, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what is really is it it really is the word of god which is at work in you delivers this is our goal this is our prayer and now as we come to this important moment when we will pray about men who committed themselves to serving god to serving the church let's come to him let's come to his throne of grace and pray. I would like to ask every one of you, pray about grace upon this man. Pray that everyone in your leadership would be known as a man of grace, as a servant of grace, as a leader who knows what grace is, that everyone, everywhere, thinking about your church, would be sure that this is grace, your church. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this great opportunity to gather together around your word. We thank you that you are raising up man today we thank you for this church. We thank you for the desire to serve. And now, Lord, we understand that we cannot do it without grace. And especially, I ask your blessing for the whole leadership of this church. Lord, help them. Help them to learn what grace is. Help them to learn how grace operates in their own hearts. And help them to know how to serve with grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.